Well, I want to welcome everybody to Cross Point Baptist Church and happy Palm Sunday. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. Today we're going to continue our series through the New Testament book of Acts. And we've been calling this series the Action of the Church. And so if you brought your Bibles with you, if you could open up to Acts chapter 9, verses, we're going to look at verses 32 all the way through 43 this morning. And I'm calling this sermon Healed and Restored. So today, we're going to be in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, and we're going to be talking about some people who are suffering. Anybody know anybody who's suffering? Yeah, this is going to be an interactive sermon, so hands and questions, and so a little feedback helps me out. But we've been talking a lot about suffering in the book of Acts, but up until this point, it's been, it's been really, all the suffering the church has been experienced has been at the hands of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Because he's a man that's been arresting people, he's been going from city to city and dragging um, believers, Christians, out of their homes and putting them in their prisons. So largely, the suffering of the church has been at this, by the hands of this man. But then came the day when Saul of Tarsus, everything changed for him. He was on the road to Damascus and he saw a bright light which knocked him to the ground and he heard a, a voice from heaven say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which he said, who are you, Lord? It says, I am Jesus Christ, whom you are persecuting. And so his whole life changed at that moment. He, the, the one that used to persecute the followers of the God-man, now he is a follower of the God-man himself. But today we're going to meet some more believers that are suffering too, and they're going to be suffering for other reasons. Okay? In fact, the Bible is going to refer to these believers as saints. Now, there are some faiths that wrongfully teach in order to achieve that title that you have to perform a certain number of miracles. But the Bible calls people saints that have placed saving faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because they're seen as holy in the eyes of God. The word translated saints in your Bibles, it's the word hagios in the Greek. And it means morally blameless. It means consecrated to God. And so if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, at least as far as it goes in the eyes of God, and spoiler alert, that's the only opinion that matters, you too are a saint. Okay? And so today we're going to read about these saints and what's going on in their lives. Let's just go ahead and jump in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. It says, Now as Peter went here, and there among them all, he came down also to the saints, there's that word, who lived in Lydda. And he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Does anybody know anyone who is bedridden? Maybe think about it in your mind. I mean, think about what it's like today to be bedridden. Now imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago to be bedridden. I mean, it would be awful. It, it, I mean, someone they, that's in that situation that can't provide for themselves, they, they can't travel, they, they can't do anything, they have no luxuries, they have no freedoms whatsoever. I could only describe it as being miserable. And did you catch how long this man has been bedridden? Eight years. Eight years this man has been confined to a bed. And Dr. Luke, who's the author of this book, he goes on to give some details about this man. And Luke's diagnosis? Paralyzed. Okay, so not only is he bedridden, but he can't even move at all. 
And so this, this guy is in a terrible situation, and then Peter comes into his, to his life and says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. So here's a question, church. Who healed this man? Jesus. Yeah, this isn't a trick question. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus healed this man. But I hope you notice what Peter did not say. Peter did not say, hey, I've got the gift of healing, and for the sum total of all the money in your pockets, I will heal you. That's not what Peter said. Peter also did not say, hey, if you send me some money, I'll send you some healing water or a prayer blanket. If you use these things, then it will heal you. That's not what Peter said. Peter's not taking any credit whatsoever for this miracle. Because Peter knows if anybody is healed, ultimately it's Jesus Christ that heals them. And then he tells this saint something. He says, rise, get up. That took an act of faith, right? When our team was in Mexico City, um, I've been on several of these trips, and usually one person has to go to the doctor. On this trip, it was my turn. I finally went to the doctor. My back was out. And so I'm walking around. I look like a question mark. It hurts so bad. And and so I had to go to the doctor, and and that chiropractor got me on the table and cracked me, everything you can imagine, and they gave me the electroshock and the massage and the heat. At the end of the treatment, he said, okay, John, get up. And I couldn't get up. <laughs> he had to bend down and pick, and pick me up off the table. And I only tell you that story because that's not what happened on this occasion. Peter said, get up. And the man got up. And did you check what he did? He, he made his bed. And so I would say that's a great thing to do when, after you get up is to make your bed. At this time, any moms need to be elbowing their kids. Oh, this is what you do. You need to make your bed. And then Luke throws in for us, it says, And all the residents in Lydda and Sharon, this is a surrounding area, they saw him and they turned to the Lord. So kids, you see what happens when you make your bed? People get saved. No, that's not why people got saved, but still it's a good reason. Make your bed. But... What happened here, there was really two miracles. I hope you see there was two miracles in what we read there. And the first one's pretty obvious. There, the first one, this is a supernatural, miraculous healing of a man who is paralyzed, who, who is bedridden. He can't walk. He gets up and he walks. But did you see the second miracle? The second miracle is when God supernaturally heals a heart. The healing of the heart is healing of the soul that happens when someone turns to the Lord. Because Luke here tells us they saw him and they turned to the Lord. See, this is a healing miracle, a healing of the soul. This is the very depth of who we are. Because here's what we need to know. Sin has infected and affected this entire world. And and so what happens is we experience spiritual death because of that. Because of our sin, we are separated from God and we will all experience, experience spiritual death. Because there is sin in this world, what happens is we will all physically die. And if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we experience spiritual death. But what happens here, Jesus comes and he heals this man's physical body. And as a result, others turn to Jesus. And then what happens is they experience the healing of their soul. And I believe that the healing of these people's soul is is even a greater miracle than Jesus giving this guy new legs. So if you're a Christian, I hope you realize this. You've experienced a miracle from God. You've experienced the healing of your soul. Because He's healed your soul, He's forgiven your sins, He's changed you at the deepest level of who you are. And here's a miracle that God would save anybody. Because God looks out the expanse of time and sees the sinfulness of the world and He knows the sinfulness of our hearts and yet He would choose to save anybody. That's a miracle. 
That God can break into our lives and save our soul. So the greatest miracle in the entire Bible that we see, we see some great things from the stopping of the sun to the parting of the seas. We seem to see some amazing miracles. But the greatest miracle in the Bible is when he saves somebody from their sins. And thus, he saves us from hell. And he doesn't stop there. He actually makes us fit for heaven. And Jesus can heal. And Jesus heals even from heaven. And I want you to know that Jesus still heals today, but here's the question. Can we make Jesus heal? Because there's these people, they call themselves pastors, they call themselves preachers, and they come up with this formula, and they say that this, they, may, they get this formula based off of Scripture, wrongfully. But they say this, that, and the other thing. If we do these things, then Jesus, we can make him heal. Well, let me try to be as sensitive as possible. That is a bold-faced lie. People that say anything like that, they are lying Can Jesus heal? Yes. Does Jesus heal? Yes. What can we do to make Jesus heal? The answer is nothing. Let me tell you, you cannot make Jesus heal. See, here's the difference between Christianity and paganism. In Christianity, Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is in charge. He's ruling because he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended to heaven, and right now he sits at the right hand of God, and he is ruling and he is reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we cannot make him do anything. Because he's in control. He is sovereign. He is the king. And you can't make him do what you want. Otherwise, if you could, you'd be in charge. Your authority would be higher than his. Your throne would be above his throne. And then you would command him. And then he would have to do what you tell him to do. And that would mean that you are the Lord. That's what that means. But here's the truth. You and I are not the Lord. Okay, he's the Lord. What we can do is we can humbly make our requests be known to the Lord. And he can say yes, and he can heal. Or he can say no, or he can say later. But those are his options. Okay? So please know that we cannot make Jesus do anything. And there's some people that want to know, when is the Lord going to heal? When is the Lord going to do this? And the answer is he might respond. And then again, he might not. Okay? And again, I don't say this to discourage you. I'm saying this to encourage you, okay? But we need to know that Jesus is sovereign, okay? So the answer for you, it might be later. It might be no. The answer answer could be yes. I don't know. That's, That's his call to make. And there's these people that say, these are the same people I spoke about earlier. They'll say, if you pray a prayer and you have faith, then God will answer your prayer with a big old yes every single time. Again, another flat-out lie. People that say that are, are lying because the truth is, again, God sometimes says yes, and sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says later. But he calls the shots. You and I don't get to call the shots. And the reason why I'm going through this is because there's times, especially when we're hurting, or there's times when we're suffering, maybe it's not anything that you've done, maybe it's something somebody else has done, but this happens to everybody because sin has entered the world. And the curse of sin is still is an, is an effect. And has, the sin has it infected and affected our very emotions and our physical well-being, our spiritual well-being. And I'm not going through this. I'm not talking about this to discourage you. I'm telling you this to encourage you. Because I want you to have hope. And I also want you to see that Jesus cannot be controlled. Jesus cannot be manipulated. And there's nothing that we can do to cause your, us to have authority over Him. And so sometimes when people are hurting, 
And there's times when people are suffering, sometimes when people are dying, or maybe it's times when someone we love is hurting or suffering or even dying. That's when we get desperate, right? We get very desperate. And then, and then what happens because of suffering or maybe because of emotional weakness and mental anguish, that really opens ourselves up to some really, really bad Bible teaching. And we didn't know that there is a never-ending line of bad Bible teachers out there just want to open this thing and say and misrepresent God. They want to lead you astray. Bad Bible teachers will say, well, if you do this and you have faith, then God will answer your prayers. And if God does not answer your prayers, it's because of you. That's just bad Bible teaching. That's bad. That's wrong. And if you're hurting, this is what you should, this is what you should do. Make your request known to God. Okay? Make your request known to God. And if He heals you, worship Him. And if He doesn't heal you, worship Him. Because His grace is sufficient for you. We need to know that Jesus can not only heal, but Jesus can also raise from the dead. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus can raise somebody from the dead? I think there's sometimes we forget about that. But in the Bible, it tells us there's times when Jesus raises people from the dead. Let's read about one of these times in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 36. It says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Time out. Who names her sweet little baby girl Dorcas? Just looks at this little girl and goes, Oh, you'll be called Dorcas. Anyways, so... She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days, she became ill and died. And when, she had, when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come with us without delay. So Peter rose and went to them. And when he arrived, they took him to the, took him to the upper room. All the widows near stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while he was with him. But Peter put him outside. Is he okay? Okay. Okay, good. Get a little worried about that guy. Okay. Where was I? I don't even know. <laughs> so as when they arrived, he took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And when he gave her his hand, she raised, up, raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known to throughout all of Joppa that many believed in the Lord and staying in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. I need to mention it again because it says it here again. Um, but those same preachers that say, Hey, if, if you ask God and you have faith, God will say yes. Now, I mentioned them before. Well, here it says, you know, that we talk about these, these guys because these are the guys that say, well, if you have faith and good works, then you'll never be sick. That's what bad Bible teachers will wrongfully teach. Well, here, and we're looking at God's word. This is a pretty high authority, right? There's this gal, her name is Tabitha, and the Bible says that she was full of good works and acts of charity, and yet there was this day that she was so sick that she died. That's what the Bible says about her. And so, those people that would teach that, that nonsense about, you know, having good, 
lots of faith and acts of charity and good. Well, you're never going to be sick. Well, what are you going to do with Tabitha? Okay. Well, anyways, I want you for a minute. Imagine you're at a funeral. Someone that you care about has died, and so you go to the church, and you probably have your, your, your funeral clothes on, and I don't know if you, about you, but I cry at a funeral, so sometimes I wear sunglasses. And you're in the funeral, and you're sitting in your chair, and you're waiting for the funeral to start. All of a sudden, the pastor comes out from the back and says, I've got an announcement. We're going to have a very short funeral today because the person of honor isn't dead anymore. Anybody ever had that happen? I've never had that, but I guarantee I'd be sitting there, I'm like, are we still going to have fried chicken and funeral potatoes at the reception? That's what I would wonder about. I've been to a lot of funerals, and that has happened to a grand total of zero times, but that's exactly what happened with Tabitha, okay? Did, did you catch what happened next? It says that God does this miracle of bringing Tabitha back from the grave to encourage all the saints, there's that word again, to go and tell the non-Christians about Jesus then it says, and Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Weird little footnote, right? At the end, that's going to come in play later in the book of Acts. Well, God brings a very nice woman back from the dead, and then all the saints, they, they go and tell the non-believers what happened about God bringing somebody from, back from the dead, and then Peter stays in the guy's house. Well, here's what we know about Tabitha. There's a little case study on Tabitha. She's a gal that's very generous. Okay, she gives gifts, even gifts that she gives with her own hands. And anybody knows a lady like this, very giving, very loving? You know, so, so often there are some people that will say something like, they will see somebody in need and they'll pray, oh God, send somebody to help that person in need. That's not what Tabitha does. Because if Tabitha sees somebody in need, she goes and she takes the lead. Okay? And, and there, there's so many people, but, but we... But, there's a, a guy like Tabitha is really who we need to aspire to be like. Because if Tabitha sees somebody that needs a shirt, she's a gal that gets sewing. Or maybe she sees somebody that's hungry. Tabitha's a gal that gets to baking. And so, so Tabitha's a person that sees the need and she takes the lead. Here's the application. Be like Tabitha. Be somebody that doesn't wait for somebody to go and help others. Be like Tabitha. She just goes and takes care of business. But Tabitha is a gal, she's loved by widows. And the reason why is because widows are people that don't have much. In this culture, widows, they have nothing to give, so they're the ones that often get overlooked. But these aren't pe- ladies going to be overlooked as long as there's somebody like Tabitha around. And as a result of that, she's very loved. And this group of widows, they're, they're praying for Tabitha, and they're praying for, for her, even though they're praying for her, she's so sick that she dies. And then they take her body and they put it in the upper room. That's interesting. They don't put her body in the ground. They, they take it to the upper room and they, they wash her body. This type of thing happened in the Old Testament with prophets like Elijah. I just have to wonder, maybe there's a bunch of godly gals and they, they read what God did in the Old Testament. Maybe they thought to themselves, well, God can do it again. And so they, they think, let's not put her in the ground. Let's just wait and see if God will do it again. And then they call for Peter. You see, at this time, Peter, he's a pastor and he's out making home visits. And so there's times as a pastor you have to visit people in their homes when they're sick or when they're dying. I remember one time I get a call and I'm, I get to ask to go visit a family, a very close friend of ours, and they have somebody more than they love than, than life itself. They love this person. And he's sick. He's dying in the ICU. And so it's very heart-wrenching if you've ever been in this situation with a family that they love somebody more than life itself, and they have to make the decision to remove them off life support. 
As a pastor, and you're, as you're invited into these moments with, with a family, when they're saying we're hurting because someone we love is dying, and you're, when you're invited in as a pastor, that's, that's, a, that's an honor. But at the same time, it's very difficult because people process moments like this in all sorts of different ways, and I have to think that's exactly where Peter's at in that moment. And, and, and Luke tells the story, he says that, that Peter clears the room, and I have to think partially, it's like, because there's people going nuts all over the place, and he's trying to, to, to get clarity in the moment. And I just love the fact it says that Peter knelt down and he prayed, okay? You know, the Bible says that we can pray standing up. The Bible says that we can actually lay in our beds and pray, or we can pray seated. But when you're kneeling, that really says something, because when you're kneeling and it's an act of surrender. That's what Peter is saying in the moment, right there. This is a theological statement, right? Because when you get on your knees, you're, you're surrendering. I would say that's a very good posture to be in the presence of God. And so, Pastor Peter, even though he's a great man and a great leader, he's also showing great humility here. And he kneels down and he prays for Tabitha. He prays that God would bring her back from the dead. And I just love the way that Luke tells the story because it says Peter gave her his hand and he lifted her up. So picture, if you will, there's this probably an older lady and she's laying on a bed and she's dead and Peter helps her out of bed. Luke tells us that there's the people that heard about what happened and they became Christians. They heard about what happened to Tabitha and they turned to Jesus You see, the reason why Jesus brings Tabitha back from the dead, it's really to show everybody what the future holds. So they see Tabitha come back from the dead, and they know that if they have hope, if they have faith, if they put their trust in Jesus Christ, then they too, like Tabitha, they're going to rise from the dead. So I'm hoping I can bring some theological clarity here to this passage if I can for you. You know, she, she was revived is what the Bible says, meaning she was dead and she's brought back to life. That she was living for a while, then she died, God brought her back from the dead. Guess what happened to her then? Sometime later, she died again. And right now her body's in the ground, her spirit is in heaven, and there's waiting for the day when her body is going to be erect, erected eternally. Okay? She was erected revived, if you will, from the grave so God can show that he still can conquer death. You see, ultimately, there's another rising that is waiting for this woman during the resurrection of the dead in the presence of Jesus. So here's a question. Well, first, are you a Christian? I hope so, but if you're not a Christian, hopefully you'll be rethinking this, 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 what the future holds for you if you're not by the end of this message. But here's the question. What happens when we die? Really think about that. What happens when we die? Because most people, especially those that are not Christians, they don't want to talk about this. Because this is not a fun conversation if, if you don't know the answers. Okay? You ever spoke to somebody that doesn't know about what life after death is going to be if they've never really thought about it? Not a fun conversation to have. Because the answers are truly terrifying for those that haven't placed faith in Jesus Christ. One of our translators in, in Mexico, his name was Koki. It was McKenna's uh, translator. He, he had this great thing he would do. He'd walk up to somebody and say, hey, what's the day of your birth? And somebody would say something like March 5th or April 2nd, I don't know. And they'd say, what is the day of your death? And people would say, I don't know. Then he'd start snapping his fingers. He says, that's right, you don't know. 
Everybody knows the day they're born. And everybody wonders about the day of their death. And the truth is, every day we're one day closer to the day we'll die. And so we know the day we'll born, but if you don't know the day you die, the day for death is coming. And the only way you'll rise from the grave is if Jesus Christ is your Savior. Some people, they, they think they have hope, but really their hopes are nothing better than just weak opinions. They're not assurances. You see, only Jesus Christ has gone through death and has come back from the resurrection and tells us that He waits for us on the other side. And the only way that we can pass from death to eternal life is through Him. So, so if, we, if we're looking at this, and, and we're here together, we're looking at this text, I want us to know, I want you to know, that maybe coming to church today, hopefully this is not just an emotional experience to, for you where we're looking at, at the Word of God. I hope that's true, but I hope it goes past that. We are doing a theological examination of sickness and death, but hopefully we're all considering Jesus Christ here today because He's the one that's conquered sin. And as a final result, He has, he has victory over sin and death. And here in Acts chapter 32... This is really a foreshadow of what the kingdom of God's going to be like. I mean, think about it. every word in this book is not here by accident. It is in- inspired by God Himself because we've been looking at Acts and we've we've gone up and through Acts chapter nine. Here's this guy Saul of Tarsus. He's he is persecuting the church. When we get to chapter ten, we're going to read about the centurion how he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But right in the middle. There's this weird story about Peter, uh, Jesus healing this, this guy, and, and he can walk, and then Jesus raising this gal from the dead. This is a weird little footnote right in the middle of Acts. Why? It's a foreshadow of the kingdom of God. What we need to know is that Jesus, he's the king, and he's on the throne right now, and he's ruling, and he's reigning over a kingdom that never ends. And here's the truth, Christians, we are on our way to the kingdom. Some of us are walking, some of us are limping, some of us are rolling our way on in, a, in a wheelchair, some of us are on crutches, but we are all going to the kingdom of God. And for all the saints, all the believers, I'm talking to you, we are citizens of the kingdom, but we're just not home yet. We're on our way home, but we're not home yet. The, the Bible describes believers as pilgrims, as aliens, as soldiers. That's what the Bible says about us. We're on our way home. We're just not home yet. The Bible says we're already citizens of the kingdom of God. We're just not there yet. In this life, there's these rare occasions where, where the kingdom of God it really invades this world, if you will, and it shows up in these supernatural, miraculous, inexplicable way. And the reason why I think, this is my opinion, that God gives us these glimpses, these hints, these vignettes, these sneak previews, you will, of the kingdom of God, so we will see what heaven's going to be like, and we're going to think, Oh man, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's what it's going to be like. That's going to be like when this world comes to an end and there's a resurrection of the dead and then God's people, we're going to be in God's presence. That is so cool. And it's going to last not just for a minute or hour, but like forever and ever and ever and ever for all eternity. At least that's the way it's going to be for those that belong to Jesus Christ. For those that have given their lives and their souls to King Jesus you see, often there's people that say something that's ridiculous. They'll say, after somebody dies, they'll say, oh, they went to a better place. I want to say it takes more than just simple dying to go to a better place. It takes more than that. Did you know that Jesus speaks more about hell than anybody, anybody else in the entire Bible? 
And I'm sharing these things, these two things about the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. Because we're seeing about, about the kingdom and this healing of this man and the raising of this woman. We're seeing what the kingdom of God's going to be like. We need to know Jesus, he's the king of the kingdom. Read in John chapter 11, verse 25. It says, and Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Here's what Jesus says in that text. Let me translate it, the new pastor John translation. He says, you're going to die. Sin causes death, and since you're a sinner, you're going to die. Well, then what happens? Well, the answer is, if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, though you die physically, you're not going to die spiritually. You might die temporarily, but you're not going to die eternally. If you believe in Jesus, if He's your life, if He's your resurrection, you will live too. Just as Jesus Christ, He rose from, from the death, He conquered sin, He triumphed over death, He's our resurrection. So when Tabitha, when she is raised from the dead, it's showing one that she belongs to Him. And this is what happens to those who believe in Jesus. Because death does not have victory over you. You know why? Because Jesus already won the victory. And I really, really want you to understand this. Because most of us don't think about dying much at all. We usually go through our lives, go through an entire day, and we never once think about dying. But I want you to understand something, okay? I want you to truly understand what happens when you die. Because if you die with no assurance, what happens is you will live this life in terror and anxiety and in fear all the time, in a constant state of panic. Because the absolute worst, here's the worst thing that can happen to anybody if you die without knowing Jesus. That's as bad as it gets, okay? But if you know Jesus, when you die, you will be in the kingdom of God. I need you to know there's a day of resurrection coming. We're going to celebrate that tomorrow, when, or excuse me, next Sunday when Jesus rose from the grave. Because often we don't think about it. But Jesus' resurrection, it was the first resurrection. And if he's your resurrection, there's a resurrection from the grave coming where we're going to get these glorified bodies. I want to read from you one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And if you've been a Christian very long, I'm willing to bet it's one of your favorite verses too. Read with me in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. It says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for their former things have passed away. That he in that verse, that he is Jesus that Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye. Have you ever wondered, hey, I wonder if there's going to be crying in heaven? The answer is yes. There's going to be in crying in heaven, but our Savior, He's going to be there, and He's going to wipe away those tears from our eyes. Another question, interactive, interactive question. How many of you this life has included some tears? That should be all of us, right? Yeah, all of us. All of us, some, because of physical pain or spiritual pain, emotional pain, this, this life has included some tears, right? You see, tears are what happens to believers that are limping their way towards the kingdom of God. And once we get to the king, the very hand of our king is going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. I remember a day, a day when my bride, she cried so hard that tears were just streaming off her face. See, after the birth of, our, of McKenna, Amy lost the ability to have children, but we wanted more children. So that set us in a whole new direction. And then came the day the four-month-old, red-head, blue-eyed little girl came into our family. She's a firecracker little girl. 
And we had that girl for 15 months. I mean, we loved that girl. That's our daughter. And then a judge decided it was best that she go back to her biological father. And the tears came that day. There's still tears that day. And let me say, I don't regret that. It hurts, but I don't regret it because without that situation, my family wouldn't be the way it is today. And I would not give that up for anything. But on that day, I had the blessing of acting like our Savior to comfort my bride and tell her it's going to be okay, sweetie. I don't know how it's going to work out, but the end of ends, it's going to be okay. And I got to actually brush the tears away from, from Amy. And there's coming a day when Jesus is going to do that for us. From, from all the things that have hurt us in the world, Jesus is going to wipe away our, our tears. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? The nail-scarred scarred hands of our Savior as He puts His hands on our face and He brushes the tears away from our eyes and that we will never cry again. Not one more tear ever will be shed from our eyes. Because sin is gone, because sin is gone, sickness is gone, and death is gone. As a result, all of God's enemies are gone, and all the enemies of God's people, they're gone. And you'll never need to wipe away another tear from your eye. And the last tear that will ever be in your eye will forever be removed by the hand of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God. You know what else Revelation 21.4 says? It says, and death shall be no more. Can you imagine what that might be like? No death, no sickness. You know why? Because there's no sin. We need to know that something has gone terribly, frightfully, awfully wrong in this world because people aren't supposed to get sick. People aren't supposed to, to die because after God finished making the world and He concluded it was very good, and since then something has gone terribly wrong. And there's a day coming when death will be no more. Parents, can you imagine for a minute what it'd be like that the people that we love more than life itself will never have to fear or worry what's going to happen about them, worry about them getting sick or getting injured or getting dying, getting sinned against or victimized. The possibility of anything happening, those little ones he loves so much, gone forever. All those tears and all those anxieties and all that stuff, gone in the kingdom of God. It says, never will be mourning, nothing to complain about ever again, nothing to cry about, no more pain. Can you imagine? No more pain? Some of you that are here have haven't, can't even remember the last day you've had a day free of pain. And it says that the former things have passed away, the sin and the world as we know it, the curse, gone. The effects, gone forever. And all this I'm telling you because these two miracles in Acts chapter 9, of God healing and God raising this lady from the dead. And this is what I think we should do based off this text. We need to anchor our soul and our hope and our faith to Jesus Christ. So I want you to think biblically for a minute. I want you to think theologically. Think practically. If you're suffering, worship a God that knows about suffering. When you're hurting, worship a God that knows about hurting. If you're being ridiculed, worship a God that knows about ridiculed. When you're dying, we need to know that we worship a God that has died and He's waiting for us on the other side. And I want you to know for for Christians, this world is as bad as it's ever going to get. For non-Christians, this world is as good as it's ever going to get. That's why I want you to know Jesus. I mean, I really want you to know Jesus. I want you to come to know Him as your Lord and Savior. Give your life to Jesus. 
So here's some questions I have for us. I have three questions for, this, through, for us this morning. Here's question number one. Question, do you know anybody who's suffering? Think about that person in your mind as you sit there. Do you know anybody who's suffering? Maybe they're suffering because of illness or injury. Maybe it's because of something. I don't know, but can you think of somebody? If you can think about them, do you think maybe they might need to know about Jesus? Maybe in this life, they might get healed. Absolutely in the next, everybody gets healed. Yesterday, I got a phone call. And on the end of the, the phone call was Kathy Nas. Maybe you probably know her. Many of you in this room know her. And she says, you need to come Mark. Go, come see Mark right now. If you don't know Mark Nas, he's sweet man. He's dying of cancer. I rushed over to his house, and we could walk there from here. I walk into his room, and he's got a smile on his face from ear to ear. He says, hey, pastor, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. And I got to talk to him about this. In case you're wondering, I asked him, I said, Mark, do I have your permission to talk about you in church? He said, absolutely. And we got to talk about Jesus. And he, does he know Jesus as a Savior? And he gave me every assurance. Yeah, he knows. And just had some questions. We had this sweet time. And I know Pastor Jess went and visited him. And I came back that night. And um, got to share with him with this story. Like that man that laid in that bed. Do you think that man over eight years prayed for healing? At eight, in the eight years, it happened. I don't know how long Mark's been suffering cancer. You think he's prayed? God, heal me. You think those that love him prayed? Absolutely they prayed. He's been battling for how long? And I don't even know if he's still with us now, but the moment he gets to, to heaven, he's going to be healed forever. So does Jesus heal in this life? Yes. Everybody that belongs to Jesus, they're absolutely prayed, healed in the next life. Here's the second question for us. How does an understanding of the resurrection, the kingdom of God, change your view of death? Think about it. How does it emotionally help you to process some of the hardest and worst moments of life? Because there's some people that are just overly concerned with this life. There's so many people that are so focused on their own personal world, their own personal agenda, that they forget, or maybe they, at least they lose sight. This world's going to pass away. The Bible says this world is going to be rolled up like a scroll. And let me tell you, in case you don't know this, this country is going to be rolled up like a scroll. I love the United States. Greatest country in the entire world, in my opinion. Eventually, it's going to get rolled up like a scroll. But the kingdom of God is forever. And if you know Jesus, guess what? You're in the kingdom. And if you don't know Jesus, you too will be rolled up like a scroll. But only to spend eternity in hell separated from God. Here's question number three. It's the last question. What do you think the kingdom of God will be like? What do you think it's going to be like? Here's what I'll say about the kingdom of God. It's awesome. I mean, awesome. Anything that comes out of my mouth, it's not even come close to, to really describe the awesomeness and how grand the kingdom of God will be like. I heard one pastor say this about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is everything awesome in this world, only way better with none of the sin. Anybody like to fish? Anybody? couple of us? Yeah, I love to fish. You know, there's going to be fishing in the kingdom of God. It says so in the book of Ezekiel. But you know what? I think the, the, the best day of fishing here is going to pale comparison to the worst day of fishing in heaven because it's going to be awesome. How about riding horses? Anybody like riding horses? Amen. Like riding horses? I like riding horses. Only the best horses. I don't think we're going to get bucked off. If we do, it's not going to hurt. It's going to be awesome. How about anybody like to eat food? Can I get an amen? Yeah. 
Yeah, amen. I like, you can look at me and tell I like eating food. Yeah, I do. Only the best food every day, every meal. But you know what? I think we take food for granted in this country. Imagine what it's like for the vast majority of our world's population where they only dream of getting an entire mouthful of rice with no bugs in it. That's what most of our, most of our world dreams about. Most people can't even fathom what perfect food every meal might be like for every day for all eternity. How about this? You're never going to worry about someone breaking into your home late at night and doing unspeakable things to, those, to you and those you love. And again, I think this is kind of a strange one. Why are you talking about this? Because the vast majority of our world lives in constant fear of someone coming to their home and doing these things. I think most of you are like me. You probably have a 12-gauge right next to the bed. Good luck if you come into my house late at night. You're about to meet Jesus. But that's a fantasy for most of the world. Can you imagine never again have a, a, a moment of terror, anxiety ever in the kingdom of God? It's never going to happen. And here's what it comes down to. Here's where the lines draw. Do you know Jesus or do you not know Jesus? That's it. Do you know Jesus? And if you don't, then why not? Jesus healed this man in Acts chapter 9, and Jesus raised Tabitha from the dead to show us what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Does Jesus still do this day? Absolutely. But he's calling us to give our lives to him because he's the one that has defeated death. He's died and rose from the grave. This is what he wants us to know, that we're all sinners. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that Jesus came to save sinners. You see, there must be a moment of spiritual clarity. You recognize, I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I'm separated from God. You must call out to him. Sometimes it happens in a fancy prayer. Sometimes it's just, Jesus, save me. But if you've never called in the name of Jesus, I want you to do this right now. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And my sin, it separates me from you. But yet you died, you came, and you died on that cross taking my punishment, my sin, my shame, and the very wrath of God was poured out on you. And they buried you in a tomb, and you rose from the grave. Lord, thank you. Thank you for, for paying my sin debt. Save me from my sins. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.